You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in today's lecture, we want to finish and complete our discussion on Isaiah 59. And then we should have plenty of time to begin to talk about Isaiah 60. But in order to do that, we need to go ahead and get started. Let's pick up at Isaiah 59, verse 20. And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares Yahweh. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says Yahweh. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says Yahweh, from this time forth and forevermore. So far the text. Now, when we look at this passage, we want to understand First of all, we're talking about the Redeemer, who is Christ our Lord. Here you have the Father speaking about the person of the Son. And then the Father begins to talk to the Son about the covenant. The Son, of course, is the covenant that the Father will give. My covenant with them. Now, who's the them? Well, we're talking about the righteous remnant. That is, those who believe and trust in these promises, all fulfilled in Christ in his coming kingdom, his kingdom of peace. So the Father says, my covenant with them, that is made with them, the covenant in the blood of Christ, which is the new covenant or the new testament. And then my spirit that is upon you, this is the Father declaring to the Son, the Holy Spirit that is upon him, anointed in his baptism in the waters of the Jordan, the person of the Father speaks of the person of the Son according to his human nature. Remember, behold my servant upon whom my spirit rests. So this is the servant. This is Christ our Lord. So the Father says to the Son, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth. Now remember, it is the words that are spoken by Jesus are the words given to him by the Father. Throughout John's gospel, this is the constant theme. The person of the Father sends the person of the Son. The Son speaks the words given to him of the Father. Just like in Deuteronomy 18, where Moses told us that God would raise up a prophet like him. That the Father would raise up his Son in the flesh to be the prophet to speak the words. And of course, Moses says, listen to him. Well, that's exactly what the Father tells us in the gospel accounts. Especially we see this at the transfiguration. When the voice of the Father says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Well, if you want to listen to the Father, you are to listen to the Son. For the Son speaks the words of the Father. The Father sent the Son. 
He sent the Son in order to take away the sin of the world. If you go back to Isaiah 42, the Father speaks to the Son and says, I am Yahweh, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Again, this is Isaiah chapter 42, in which that chapter begins by the Father speaking about the Son, saying, Behold my servant. And then at verse 6 in chapter 42, he speaks to the Son and says, I will give you as a covenant for the people. Of course, that covenant is the same word as testament. And this is the New Testament in the blood of Jesus. This is this incarnational language that he comes to save us from our sin. For he is Jesus. He is our Savior. And he saves us by shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, later on in Isaiah 49, you have the Father saying, In a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land to apportion the desolate heritages. Again, that's Isaiah 49. Christ is the covenant, the new covenant, the new testament that is in his blood. It only happens because of the incarnation in which he takes our sins, bears them on the cross, and becomes our Savior, delivering us from death and the devil. Now, later on in Isaiah 54, you have the similar language. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from me, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says Yahweh, who has compassion on you. Now, notice that this is a covenant of peace. This gives to us peace with God. How? Well, through the shed blood of Jesus. Or again in Isaiah 55, Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Again, that everlasting covenant, that testament in the blood of Jesus. Now, Jesus, of course, is both the victim and the priest, the sacrificial lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, and also the true high priest. He bears our sin, and he is our Savior. And thus, this language of the covenant, the language of the kingdom, is all about the promise of the coming Christ who comes to save us and deliver us from death. And therefore, in Isaiah 59, again, a Redeemer will come to Zion. This is one who is a kinsman redeemer who will purchase us with his own blood, not with gold, not with silver, but with his precious blood, his innocent blood. And then he goes on to say to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, remember the turning is God who converts us, who turns us, who changes our hearts, that we would trust in him. And then, of course, the passage goes on to note that this is my covenant with them, says Yahweh, talking about the redemption in the blood of Jesus. And going further, the Father says, my spirit that is upon you, 
Remember Isaiah 42, Behold my servant upon whom my spirit rests. That's the whole understanding of the Messiah to be anointed in the baptism, according to his human nature, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. As we have, of course, in Isaiah 11, the sevenfold gift of the Spirit, or even in Isaiah 61, where Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And of course, in Isaiah 61, what is he sent to do? He is sent to preach and proclaim the day of Yahweh's favor, that now is the day of Yahweh's favor in the Son, the incarnate one, the one who comes to give to us reconciliation with the Father, uniting divinity and humanity again in his flesh. Now, he has the Spirit upon him, and he speaks this word of favor, this gospel message, this good news, the liberty of the captive. Well, faith comes, of course, by hearing the words of Jesus. And it is through this word, that gospel message, that the Holy Spirit is given, that the Holy Spirit is poured out and given to us. In fact, when the apostles are sent out, you'll see this in John chapter 20, at the resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus breathes on the apostles, and then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That in that message of forgiveness, that message of loosing, that message of of freeing the captives from sin, the Holy Spirit is given. So that spirit that is upon Jesus, the spirit that is upon Jesus without measure, is now distributed and poured out upon us as he is the risen and ascended Lord. That as a high priest, he continues to give to us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see this on the day of Pentecost, in which Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the people of God in Jerusalem. And remember, the people are gathered there asking, what's going on? And Peter says, this is all in fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, that Yahweh would pour out his Spirit. And that confession is Jesus is Yahweh who has ascended into heaven and now at the right hand of the Father pours out the Spirit. And remember the response of the people is, well, what should we do? And Peter instructs them saying, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, notice that we have this promise in the gift of holy baptism, that the word of Jesus is connected to the water, to the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. That as the water is poured out, the Spirit is poured out. That we would see with our ears, hearing the words of Jesus, being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then hearing with our eyes. As we see the water being poured out, we know the promise given to us. 
And later on in in Galatians chapter 3, when Paul is teaching us about the significance of baptism, and he says that we are all now sons of God, adopted, children of God, being clothed with Christ in baptism, that the that the promise that was given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that he would be a blessing to the nation so that we too might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now notice this language of offspring, the language of children, the language of seeds, that Christ, of course, is the one only begotten Son, and from him come many, many adopted sons, that is, heirs of the kingdom. From the miraculous birth of the one true only begotten son comes the miraculous rebirth of many adopted sons by grace. Now, of course, that's the language that we have here at the end of Isaiah 59. That I have put my spirit upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring, or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says Yahweh, from this time forth and forevermore. Now, I want you to track with me the miraculous birth of the one true Son, the only begotten Son, who is born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and through the birth of that one, comes the miraculous rebirth of many in him. You'll see this in Isaiah chapter 7. Remember the promise. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Of course, Emmanuel means God with us. Now, later on in chapter 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now I want you to pause there. Remember, he's Everlasting Father. Not that Jesus is the person of the Father. No, not at all. We don't want to confuse the person of the Father with the person of the Son. Instead, in relation to the church, the Son of God is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And through this union comes forth many children of God. The rebirth through the waters of holy baptism that these children are born again. That is, born from above by the Spirit and the water. And that's why in Isaiah 8, Christ can say, Behold, I and the children whom Yahweh has given me are signs and portents in Israel from Yahweh of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Now, remember that the miraculous birth of one, the virgin birth of the Son of God, comes forth the miraculous rebirth of many. That is those who are adopted by grace in the waters of holy baptism being born from above by the Spirit and the water. Now keep tracking with me when we get to Isaiah 44, in which the promise is, I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. 
And then, of course, in Isaiah 53, yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. But notice again that the Spirit is upon the Son of God, the only begotten Son, and then that Spirit will be placed upon all of the sons of God, the adopted children by grace, so that he will see his offspring, that is, his children. Or later on in Isaiah 54, remember when we talk about the church as the bride, we talk about the church as the one who is a woman. Thus, sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who was married, says Yahweh. Now, that's the promise. That's the promise that that righteous remnant who hear the words about Jesus, the coming kingdom of the Christ, who cling to them by faith, these are the ones who will be the children of God. These are the ones who will receive the promised spirit through faith. And thus, in Galatians chapter 4, where Paul talks about that passage, Isaiah 54, Paul makes a contrast between the righteous remnant who hear the word and believe are justified by faith and the the synagogue who rejects the Messiah, crucifying him, trying to cut him off from the land of the living. Now, Paul makes a distinction between two types of women. First, you have earthly Jerusalem and then you have heavenly Jerusalem. Therefore, Paul will make this statement in Galatians chapter 4, saying, The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Now again, that's language. That she is the one who gives us birth, that would be the church, through the waters of holy baptism. For those who have been baptized have been clothed with Christ and become sons of God through faith. And again, the reason why we're called sons is because in the ancient times of the Bible, the sons were the ones who were heirs, heirs of the kingdom. So going back to Isaiah 59, we conclude on the note that the word of the kingdom that is put into the mouth of Jesus is the word that continues to be heard by the church. It is the word that is put into the mouth of the offspring and the offspring of the children from generation to generation continue to speak the words of the king. Now we want to transition from Isaiah 59 to Isaiah 60. Before we do that, we want to make a note here that chapters 56 through 59, we hear the prophet speaking the words of divine judgment. I mean, remember clearly in 59, their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. The way of peace they do not know. And then, of course, that statement in which we hear our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. 
for our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities transgressing and denying Yahweh and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Now, that's the condition of the people, that they are speaking of their own sin, their own sin that is being known to them, that is being made known to them, that they know their own iniquities. But again, this is, this is a divine judgment. And so God brings forth his word to reveal sin, to expose it. In fact, remember how Isaiah 58 began. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Remember, the prophet is sent as the mouthpiece of God, that his throat will shout out loud with a sound of the shofar horn. Thus, chapters 56, 57, 58, 59, the prophet speaks the words of divine judgment. Now, there's one more thing that I want you to see in chapter 59 before we go into chapter 60. Now listen to these words. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor we are like dead men. Now let's stop right there. Understand that they were hoping for light. They were hoping for brightness. But instead, what do they see? They see darkness and they grope around as if they had no eyes. Now that's the introduction that we have into chapter 60. Now notice how chapter 60 begins. Verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. Now, the contrast we have is that in chapter 59, they were hoping for the light that they wanted to see in their own sight. In other words, they were looking for what they wanted to see when they saw Jesus that was not what they wanted to see. They actually preferred the darkness rather to the light. But in chapter 60, we have that word of promise. To those who have ears to hear, listen. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. Now we are speaking of Christ rising up with his kingdom. These are words of mercy and grace. Here we have the light and the illumination by the Holy Spirit. Now remember back in Isaiah chapter 9, in which we're told about that son who's going to be given to us, about that one, the baby who will be born for us? Remember, it's in Isaiah chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness 
have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now, another connection that I want you to see here is the language of Jerusalem. When the rabbis translated the Hebrew into Greek, of course, this is in the Septuagint, this is prior to the coming of the Messiah, they were interpreting and reading this passage in particular in reference to Jerusalem. So, shine, shine, Jerusalem. Now, they're not talking about earthly Jerusalem. They're talking about heavenly Jerusalem. Remember, Paul is making that distinction in Galatians, that earthly Jerusalem tries to put to death the Messiah that came for them. Earthly Jerusalem acts like those who are blind. They'd hoped for the light, but it wasn't the light that they wanted to see. So they preferred the darkness. In fact, in John's gospel, John makes a continuous running theme about Jesus being the light of the world and sinful humanity, even his own people, preferred the darkness rather than the light. And you'll see this in particular in John chapter 9, in which Jesus heals the blind man. Now remember, in John chapter 9, there was the man who was born blind. And Jesus then anoints the man's eyes with his own saliva and dirt, forming mud, and then he speaks the word to the man that the man would go and wash himself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Of course, this testifies that Jesus is the one who is sent by the Father, and now he's sending this blind man to be restored in his sight. But notice that the restoration of his sight comes in two ways. It comes with the water and the word, or we would also include the spit and the dirt with the water and the word, that you have both something that is visible and tangible in the mud made of saliva and, of course, the water, and something that is vocal, audible, something that you can hear with your ears, which is go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Now, in John chapter 9, I also want you to take note that at verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples before he does his miracle, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I want you to see Jesus as the light of the world. I also want you to see that the blind need light for sight. Now, remember the promise of Isaiah chapter 35, in which we're told about the coming Messiah and his kingdom, in which the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Now, I want you to understand this direct connection between hearing and seeing, that we see with our ears and we hear with our eyes. Now, I know that seems like that's the opposite and it's upside down and turned around, but that's exactly how things work in the kingdom of God. 
that we see when we hear the vision of God given to us, that we see what God wants us to see. Remember, that's Isaiah chapter 42, when it opens up by saying, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, again, it is the word that is heard that says, Behold. The word says, Look and see Jesus. Thus, in Isaiah 42 at verse 18, the voice of God says, Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Now, what else is going on in chapter 42? Now, at verse 6, the Father says to the Son, I will give you as a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now, going back to Isaiah chapter 60 at verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.